0: This is a KTF Press podcast.
1: There was a Desmond Tutu quote where he talked about that the good news to a hungry person is bread. Like Jesus doesn't ask, if a person says I'm hungry, Jesus doesn't ask, is that political or social? He says, I feed you. That kind of haunted me because I kept offering very theoretical sustenance to students who were asking for actual tangible sustenance. So it just started Mm. to feel like I can't say that I'm actually doing kingdom work unless there is a tangible demonstration of the love of God. I can't keep talking about God, the love of God in theory. I need to
2: know- Welcome to Shake the Dust, leaving colonized faith for the kingdom of God. I'm Cy Hukstra, And I'm Jonathan Walton. We have a great show for you today. We are talking with two guests about the ways that their work helps uh, black people, college students and adults to succeed financially with the aim of uh, reducing the wealth gap and increasing black power in the world. Um, we're going to talk about the ways their faith intersects with that work and a whole lot of other things. Uh, Jonathan will introduce them in a second. Uh, I just wanted to say I want to say a few things. One is obviously I'm still sick, like I was last week. But guess what? When we when we did this interview, I wasn't sick, so you don't have to listen to me talk all nasally like this again. Another thing: we are coming up on a mailbag episode. We're going to be doing that uh, in two episodes from now, so in four weeks we'll be doing a mailbag episode. Please send us your questions. Send us them via email. To shake the dust at ktfpress.com. That's shake the dust at ktfpress.com. You can send in text, uh, text questions or voicemails. Ask us about anything that you've heard on the show all season. Ask us about things you've heard on the show in previous seasons. Ask us about anything you've read in our newsletters. Ask us anything. A U A. And remember, if you like what we do at KTF Press, centering and elevating marginalized voices to help the church leave colonized faith for the kingdom of God, the best way to support us is to go to KTFPress.com and become a paid subscriber uh, that supports us, that gets you the bonus episodes of this show, uh, our, our newsletter every week, the full archives of both of those things. And it supports everything we do here at KTF Press. So please do that. Also, send in your questions. Again, shake the dust at ktfpress.com. Okay, uh, Jonathan, let the people know who our guests are today.
0: One of our guests you already know. To me, Spencer Helms is the author of Faith Unleavened, The Wilderness Between Trayvon Martin and George Floyd that we published earlier this year. She's a theologian, author, and speaker living in Richmond, Virginia. She is the founder of... And CEO of Subculture Incorporated, a nonprofit that provides holistic support and crisis relief for black college students. She holds a bachelor's degree in religious studies and copywriting from Virginia Commonwealth University, a master's degree in contextual leadership from Wheaton College, and a master's degree in theology from Fuller Seminary. Our other guest is Diamond Walton, who is, in addition to everything else I'm about to say, <laughs> my sister in law. As a grant maker, public health professional, and social entrepreneur, Diamond has spent her career pursuing community-led solutions to social problems. She received her master's in public health degree from Emory University. She has nearly a decade of experience in the field of public health, working at local, state, and international levels. Her work has involved coalition building, strategic planning, community needs assessments, program development, and evaluation. Now as a grantmaker, she has continued partnering with community members to mobilize financial, social, and human capital to promote equitable access to resources. She also runs Alpita Social Capital, a financial coaching and consulting firm that partners with clients to engage with money and their communities in socially and environmentally responsible ways with the goal of reducing the racial
2: wealth gap. To me, Spencer Helms, welcome back. Diamond Walden, welcome to the show for the first time. Thank you both so much for being here. We really appreciate it.
1: Thanks for having us. Yes, thank
3: you. Glad to be here.
2: So, let's just get started talking about your your work, uh what it is and how you got into it. Tamise, could you start with uh subculture for us?
3: Sure. Yeah. I started
1: Subculture in 2018. I had been doing campus ministry since 2007. um, And I decided that what I was offering students by way of, you know, good news and things like that wasn't really tangible. And what was starting to happen was my students were having to leave school because of unexpected emergencies, and they weren't able to rise to the challenge of those emergencies. And so what I thought about doing was, what if I could create something that came alongside, you know, those ministries? at the time to kind of reinforce the wheel rather than reinvent it by offering you know, financial crisis relief and things like that. Um, In the five years we've been going, though, we've kind of expanded a little bit more to think about how do we create a holistic web of support around a Black student so that they can get to and through uh, college.
2: I've heard you say before, it was kind of frustrating to you that in the ministry context, you could only ever raise money for people to like Go to a retreat, <laughs> sure, <laughs> or yeah, yeah and, and not to like pay for an actual financial need that they had. Um, Indeed, not that people don't have spiritual needs, but yeah, I, I, I just a- appreciate that thought very much. Um, Diamond, what's going on at Alpita Social Capital?
3: Yeah, so I. I went on a very windy road to get to LP. <laughs> yeah. So I spent um, most of my career. I was a public health professional, public health educator. So um, I worked in communities to kind of help address community health needs. And um, over the course of that time, I realized there are a lot of health disparities, especially mm-hmm. for Black folks, and <clears throat> we're living sicker and dying quicker. What is <clears throat> happening? And um, I kind of got tired of reading the statistics of of you know, especially around Black women kind of dying in childbirth and kind of the the rates of, of sickness and um, death among Black infants as well. And I was thinking, mm-hmm. we're investing a lot of money in our public health infrastructure to like research these disparities and kind of bring up this this data and why don't we invest more money in, in black communities themselves so that they mm-hmm. can start kind of investing in ways that they know will improve their health outcomes um, mm-hmm. around uh, various social determinants of health. Uh, so I was like, well, maybe, maybe I could do something. So I'm working full-time as a public health professional. And then I started um, Alpida in 2019, which is a financial coaching and consulting company. And initially I was doing one-on-one financial coaching with uh, BIPOC folks, but then um, in 2021, 2020, I launched the Black Student Debt Freedom Fund, where I raised um, $25,000 to help pay, pay down um, Black student loan debt and uh, offered free financial coaching for folks. And um, through that experience, I realized that, you know, because before I did that, I was like, I'm giving folks financial coaching. They can't, it's great if you have a budget, but if you don't have any money to budget, it's not very helpful or productive. Uh-huh. So like, <laughs> what can- support folks to have the resources they need to kind of create the lives that they want for themselves and for their communities.
2: Yeah. And so the, the idea here uh, with us was the two of you are sort of working on <laughs> similar issues just with people at different stages in life. Right. And so we mm-hmm. really just thought it would be, you know, you have some thoughts behind what you're doing that I think are, are pretty similar and we'll get into those um, mm-hmm. in a minute, but uh, thank you very, very much to both of you for coming on, like I said, before, and, um, At any point, by the way, I didn't say this when we started, but feel totally free to talk to each other.
1: Okay. I was wondering if I could do that. You absolutely can. Sis, can I email you after this? Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) sure. No problem. Because students need financial coaching as well. Actually, it might Mm -hmm. be better if they started earlier. So I've got all kinds of ideas. (laughs) Yeah.
2: (laughs) I figured that's what was happening in your (laughs) brain. This
0: is just a public networking event that other people can watch. (laughs) Oh,
3: okay. Oh, I see what you're doing here. I get it. I get it.
0: (laughs) But but yeah, can you like give us a snapshot or a story? And you've you've intimated intimated a little bit about it, but like what were you seeing before you started doing this? And then what like solidified your understanding of like why this is important, um, the work that both of you are doing?
1: Um, So I think for me, it was really thinking about the four basic things that a person needs to be successful in college is a sense of belonging. They need, you know, their basic needs met. They need mental health, you know things in place. Um, And then they need academic success. Like they need a a pathway for success, like or preparedness. And so Mm -hmm. when I was looking at what my students faced, I I did a couple of years at Emory. And so I was working with a multi-ethnic group of students and consistently watched that the students who were not minoritized um, had people and places to go to when something happened for them. Um, It Mm -hmm. wasn't hard for them to have at least three of the four taken care of for my students. It was half. So they may have had a sense of belonging, but they weren't prepared for school and they didn't, they didn't have their basic needs met. And it was just something that was like kind of what can subculture do to kind of assess when a student comes to us in crisis, how can we assess what's missing, where are the gaps in that web of support, and then what can we create? So we do everything from food insecurity initiatives to that financial, you know, that crisis relief. But now we have a fellows program and we also have um, two and through college programs. So we do college prep and we'll pay for a student's application if they go to all of the kind of preparedness clinics that we offer. So we do a writing clinic for them and then we'll pay for up to three of their college application fees just to try to make sure that they're prepared um, as they're in that process in their senior year of high school. Mm-hmm. Are you done?
3: Yeah, I think um, it was right around the time I was pregnant with my second kid. I was just toward the end of my my time in the public health space. And I was just hearing more and more. Again, I mentioned this earlier about kind of the the disproportionate Uh, poor health outcomes for black women and their children. And I think maybe it was the hormones and the fact Mm -hmm. that I was like, I've been in this space for so many years and that there haven't been significant improvements. And like, and one thing that really struck me is that, you know, folks are, were seeing this uh, disparity, but had no idea why it was happening. Mm -hmm. And though um, in reflecting and kind of reviewing kind of these cases, seeing that a lot of this was preventable. And in that, I was thinking there something else has to be done. If the professionals that are kind of tasked with and the experts that kind of know the most about kind of health and healthcare and community health can't find um, ways to save our lives, then what are mm-hmm. ways that we can kind of help um, save each other's lives? So um, financial coaching doesn't seem like it's it's like that would be the answer, but I thought that at least giving someone um, an opportunity to, to have a bit more agency over the mm-hmm. resources have. And then, in addition to that, with the I do some consulting with folks with um, some wealth to kind of think through how they're investing their their money and how they are kind of thinking through how they engage with with their finances and the resources they have access to that are no longer um, contributing to the extraction and exploitation of communities of color. I think mm-hmm. working at both ends of that has really kind of helped. One communities that don't have a lot of conversations about money feel less scared about it, less shame around it, and feel Mm -hmm. a little more agency and self-sufficiency around that. And then folks that do have wealth, again, to feel less shame about it, and also to actually start having conversations more explicitly about race and the intersection of racism and um, Mm -hmm. the wealth they have. And so I think all of that together just allowed me to kind of think through what are ways that aren't directly related to healthcare can improve people's health outcomes and their well-being and their their sense of of wellness Mm -hmm.
0: both of you at least in part um think about your work in terms of reparations Mm -hmm. Uh, and so like why is that and how does helping individual black folks like this um, fit into the conversation about reparations
3: so um a few like a year or so ago i had a call with a, a woman who's like deep in the reparations movement and um, I was telling her about the work I was doing with Alpida, and she's like, "That's not reparations work." Like, and my feelings got hurt. You know, I was yeah, my little heart was broken. She's like, you know, financial coaching is you know very individualistic, and it's also kind of like neoliberal, and it's kind of connected to you know a very individualistic one one by one way of of kind of you know uh, you know kind of the the idea around financial literacy in, in particular can be. Um, a bit kind of demeaning, and, and also doesn't. It's not super uh, kind of. It's not always a helpful conversation to have when you're talking to folks who um, many people don't have financial literacy, whether you have money or you don't have money. But I think it's often used um, in terms of people who who do not have a lot of resources, just indicating their level of intelligence um, and something negative in that area. So okay. anyway, at the end of that conversation, I was just reflecting a lot about. On what I'm doing and how how does it actually contribute to reparations repair? And um, what I what I came to is that you know though it's not directly connected to um, maybe the federal government uh, kind of uh, offering reparations for the historical harms that they've they've caused to to Black people in particular or state government or anything like a, a larger entity. I do think that. You know, as folks are, as we are winning reparations, as um, communities of color and Black folks in particular are coming into possession of resources, they still will. We still will need the resource, the the the, the capacity to to know what to do with those resources mm-hmm. because they will then go back into kind of very similar capitalist systems and outside of, and be extracted from our communities again. And so. Um, i my hope is being able to offer some kind of support and um kind of community for folks who are wanting to be free of the the fear of like engaging with money the free the fear of math i think a lot of folks have that fear to um like they're prepared to really um, manage the resources that they maybe awarded or that they have now in a way that um, is aligned with their values and and it doesn't just kind of get them trapped in the same kind of system of exploitation and extraction they were um, before. Um, And then I also think that as I'm thinking about what to do next with the Black Student Debt Freedom Fund, there are opportunities to expand that to all types of debt eradication and asset Mm -hmm. transfers. And so that's really what I'm thinking about next is how to expand the work of the black student debt freedom fund to anonymously pay off massive amounts of black debt and to transfer um, assets at scale to black folks so that we can then kind of increase their, their net worth and thus close the racial wealth gap. And so I'm trying to think through what that looks like. in a practical sense, but, um, but yeah, that's what I'm working on now.
1: Wow. That is fantastic. (laughs) Um,
3: (laughs) So it, it, for
1: me, I think it's not as, um, that's just, that's a beautiful idea. And again, I will be emailing you. But, um, <laughs> as for, for us, I'm, we're just thinking, you know, a student is in school. So they've already taken a step towards their matriculation. They've already taken a step towards who they're going to be um, as an adult. Um, and so we think of this not as charity, but as reparations because unfortunately you, you got to go to school. Typically you have to go to school in order to get a degree in order to get a job so that you can be on the path mm-hmm. to generating wealth and closing the gap, right. Mm-hmm. And setting your family up. And so I think for me, I have been talking about subculture in terms of reparations because you are actually investing in future leadership. You're investing in the education of black students. And what I, what I experienced before when I was doing ministry, um, was that the narrative was always very, um, a cause, you know, that these these students are a cause or, you know, we've got to help these poor Black students get mm-hmm. through. And it's like, no, they just need a web of support that they don't have. And it is only right to surround mm-hmm. these students with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's um, that's how we're moving forward in terms of our language around fundraising and donor development. Um, because we really don't want it to seem like these students need the help of the donors. What's, what's happening is we want to kind of shift and, and bring in more equity around students who are in school. Um, and so that's the way that we're communicating out what subculture is doing. And we're hopefully hopefully people will respond, um, mm-hmm. respond to that because it is not charity. It is reparations, yeah. in my opinion.
3: And I, I like I appreciate that framing because I too, as I'm thinking through, especially when I was when I said of the Black Student Debt Free Fund, it was all anonymous, so nobody could mm-hmm. see. It's not like you're like plastering some brown face on a website saying like hey, mm-hmm. this poor poor mm-hmm. black person. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that's my hope and intent moving forward is that. This is a gift exchange. And so it's just like you were giving a gift to someone um, in your family and you're thinking about kind of your will and your trust and how you're going to kind of uh, transfer something of value to someone you care about because you know it would be helpful to them and it's something that they requested, you know? So it's not like you're just giving people something they didn't ask for. You're not giving someone something of value and you're not giving something to someone out of pity, but you're giving it out of love and you're giving Mm -hmm. it to them with no expectation of something in return. And um, so my hope is um, in terms of like the the repair aspect, the reparative aspect of this type of work and kind of the culture that I'm trying to build in terms in in this financial exchange, this resource exchange, which can be super transactional is Mm -hmm. really Engender uh, uh, a feeling of of love for Black people that you may never meet, um, but and, and a, a way of of contributing that is is gift giving, is free of expectation, is free of asking anything in return, and is actually something of value that someone mm-hmm. would appreciate. Um, so I yeah I I completely agree. I think it's so important to refrain uh, refrain reframe how um we are supporting black folks um and not seeing folks as 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 charity cases um and but also recognizing that people need things you know and so like <laughs> let's be right. more generous right mm-hmm. exactly it's still so funny because i think of
1: kind of our main things that we're trying to see uh, produced in black students, it's obviously it's academic success, but it's also like social flourishing, right? And mm. holistic well being. It's not just that we want you to drop your $50 a month so that you can feel good about helping a poor black students. Like, no, we want them even in our curriculum, like in our fellows program, financial literacy is a part of that. Mindfulness mm. is a part of that. We, we want to, create the opportunity for students to have access um, to things that a lot of their counterparts already have access to. Mm -hmm. Um, And we're saying we want to start early. Like, how do we do SEL early? Like, how do we do some of these things while they're in college so that by the time they graduate, they're dynamic, they're grounded, they're socially conscious, they're compassionate leaders. Um, mm-hmm. And so I'm I'm really excited about it. I feel like um, this way of framing it really has made me actually more excited to get out there and like let people know about subculture because it's not, we're not tokenizing the students. Yeah. We're saying, no, like we'd like for you to invest in the education of students who have been disproportionately left out of a lot of things.
3: I mm-hmm.
2: mm-hmm. mean, I have a, I've, I have come up with a random, well, it fits into one of my <laughs> other questions, but this is not something that I <laughs> sent you ahead of time. So. Have you all heard about this lawsuit against this VC fund for black women?
3: No, yeah, the fearless fund,
2: the fearless fund. Yes. So the, the guy to me who uh, financially backed the overthrow of affirmative action mm. and uh, a bunch of other conservative activist Supreme <laughs> court <laughs> cases has sued this uh, venture capital fund that oh focuses gosh. on black women owned businesses to say, this is racial discrimination because, in his view, this is against colorblind, and therefore, it's racism. <sighs> um, so I want, yeah, I'm sorry, I, I'm, I'm like delivering depressing news. But, <laughs> um, no, I'm just like, what? My eyes are just like, what? The it's really d- just God. it's. It's, <laughs> it's just it, he's he's done it, but he's also the guy who he didn't succeed in this one, but he tried to take down the Indian Child Welfare Act. He's he's the yes, same person, yeah. yeah, same guy, Edward wow. Bloom. So. My, my question was going to be the the ty- about the types of reactions that you get to what you do, because you both do fairly unique work. And those reactions, I assume, are pretty different inside and outside of black spaces. Mm-hmm. And now there's this big, powerful, angry reaction against similar kind of work to what you all are doing, uh, like work that's intentionally trying to erase a gap that exists and calling it racist. So I, I just I wanted to know what kinds of reactions you all you both get inside and outside black spaces and, and kind of how you respond. Oh gosh.
3: Um <clears throat> well I think there might I might be self-selecting the people I talk to because they're yeah. all very excited <laughs> <I guess. laughs> whether they're black <laughs> or they're white or you know non-black. <laughs> um, yeah, I do think that they're I don't want to completely dismiss the the fact that folks are feel uh, afraid of like they're losing something or that they are being excluded. Um, Because I I think that's, that's real. Um, What I'm, what I'm hoping to do, you know, it does make me a little nervous because I'm like, would someone sue me for doing what I'm trying (laughs) to do? You know, who who knows, who knows, knows? you know, so I'm trying to like seek legal counsel, just make sure that my, like my P's and Q's are all together. But what, what I found is that and this is what surprised me about the Black Student Debt Freedom Fund. It's like, I literally just said, I'm trying to pay off Black folks' debt. Who wants to do it? And people were just giving me money to do that. Mm-hmm. Like And, and um, when I was asking them or in the notes, in their emails, when they were just letting me know we're trying to figure out how to get to pay off the folks debt. They were just like, you know, I had debt and, you know, these are non black folks. I I had loan debt and it is a pain. And so I want to help folks out or I never had debt. And I, it is ridiculous that so many people are burdened by debt in this way. And I think there is a good critical mass of people you know, black and non-black who uh, can clearly see that, especially the racial wealth gap is extraordinary. It is astronomical, and mm-hmm. there it is the the amount of debt that communities of color are carrying. It's truly really untenable. There's no real way to kind of get out underneath it unless there's like massive nationwide um, kind of erasure of some of that debt, and also mm-hmm. for us all to contribute because it's it's very clearly a problem, and. For those who who don't see it as a problem, the way that I've structured the work that I'm doing is it's, it's you, you opt in, and so like if you don't want to give to Black folks paying off their debt, the help pay off their debt, then you don't have to, and you're not being forced to, and it's not your tax mm-hmm. dollars. Like it's just it's just it's my company, and if you want to help out, then you can help out, and if you choose not to, then that's your right. Um, and so I don't know. I mean, I think this is going to be an evolving conversation. You know, (laughs) we just have to make sure we're prepared for that type of reaction. Mm -hmm. Um, That's been my experience.
1: Yeah, I think my experience is similar. We haven't really... my funding model due to some situations I'm hoping we're going to talk about, but uh, has changed significantly. Um, and so we are kind of trying to figure out where's the best base of donor support. Um, typically black churches have been really excited about what we're doing and kind of offer more, um, more practical help, like, do you need a building or can we help with, you know, helping to stock the pantry? Um, and it's great, you know, we, we love that help. There's a pantry here at Virginia Union that we built. We remodeled a, a space at Virginia Union, built an entire pantry, bought the refrigerator, the freezer, all of those things, and partnered with some Black churches in the area that are now continually stocking that pantry. And so most of my interactions have been uh, in that in that particular environment have been around like practicality. It's not been so much uh, financial. Um, so it just kind of, it's it's an amazing thing, but also, you know, you need capital <laughs> um, to mm-hmm. run a business. So hopefully to expand.
0: <laughs> so we've talked about this a little bit but could you explain more of like the why and where your faith intersects with the work that you do you know this is shake the dust we're trying to leave colonized faith right and Mm -hmm. so how does this intersect with the with your faith and particularly like what the kingdom of god looks like coming practically to people
1: well i i mean for me um there was a desmond tutu quote that haunted me for a little while in 2017 where he talked about you know um that the good news to a hungry person is bread. Like Jesus doesn't ask, if a person says I'm hungry, Jesus doesn't ask, is that political or social? He says, I feed you because the good news to a hungry person is bread. And for a whole year, that kind of haunted me because I kept offering very theoretical sustenance to students who were asking for actual tangible sustenance. Um, And so to me, it started to feel a little bit... um, disingenuous after a while to say that we were, you know, to to report out to donors and things that I was um, helping students along because I was just giving them theology and Bible study. I wasn't helping them actually succeed in college, which is what they came there to do. They did not come to college for Bible study. They came to college <laughs> to graduate and have a career um, and they could do both. I mean, they could have Bible study, but also like, can we help them? So it just started mm-hmm. to feel like I can't say that I'm actually doing kingdom work unless there is a tangible demonstration of the love of God. I can't keep talking about God, the love of God in theory. Um, And so it just kind of, you know, by the time 2018 came, I just like, I'm just going to start my own thing. Um, So to me, it felt like that was a step um, towards Really maturing in my faith and really taking my discipleship seriously. Um, if I say that I care about and that I'm called to Black students, this is what I I think for me. This is what I think that looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I mean, I think part of it is coming out from under predominantly white organizations and like starting my own. And I think that again, some of the the demographic dynamics there with the practice. Practicality, I think, play into that a little bit too.
3: That's so cool. I love Desmond Tutu. Yeah, me too. Uh, (laughs) I don't know why, but I've been reading through um, 1 Corinthians backwards for like no real reason. I've just been reading it backwards. And so I, like, (laughs) I recently was in um, 1 Corinthians 8 and um, I got stuck on where Paul says, knowledge uh, puffs up and love Mm -hmm. builds up. Mm -hmm. And I think I I I was had been really self-righteous for a long time. I was just like, well, I know better and, you know, I wish people just like figured it out and I don't understand why people are, you know, engaging in ways that are super unhelpful for the black community. I was really not super loving, honestly, to many of my mm-hmm. brothers and sisters who are not of color because I mm-hmm. I felt like they should just get it more quickly. And I still think that there is a lot of learning that folks need to do on their own and I and I don't I don't you know, I don't think that I'm responsible for all of that. Um, but I also think at the same time that I have a desire to be more of a builder because that just is not what I have seen in in social justice spaces or more progressive circles. It's very mm-hmm. um, much oppositional. Like there is mm-hmm. some enemy and, and we're always just like combating something. And so I, I just have a desire to, to build the capacity, and, you know, to, to build, to be, to, cause it, it's, it's more, it's more, it's more challenging. It is more mm-hmm. challenging to kind of create something new, to, to not only be free enough to imagine something new, but to, to mm-hmm. build it and to do that with other people. Um And so I've, that's what I'm trying <laughs> to mm-hmm. figure out how to do it. Like how yeah. do we massively just transfer a bunch of <laughs> And and assets to Black folks anonymously through some kind of technological platform. <laughs> I've done that before. Maybe I'll get some people on on board to help me do it. Um, so oh, I've man. just been trying to like lean into to being a builder and and to not uh, be so quick to be so so critical and fall into that trap of like. You know, because because you waste a lot of time that way. Like you just spend. For me, I'm talking about myself. I just I spend so much time just like so mad at people and so frustrated, and I'm just like I need people are dying literally. Yes, like God, do something. We need to be yeah. a bit more active and creative. Imagine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, uh, it's it's interesting to me that both of y'all were talking about creating things, um, and like how God's, you know. Christ incarnation the Holy Spirit coming was all a proactive process not a reactive mm-hmm. process mm-hmm. like he's act like I'm going to engage in creation in the beginning I'm going to engage in renewal like with incarnation I'm going to engage in witness and expansion through the spirit coming so it's mm-hmm. it's interesting that that is your both of your frame
3: mm-hmm. um, so now I want
0: to I want to create stuff
2: okay yeah <laughs> <Let's do that. laughs> <Right.
3: laughs>
0: so,
1: it's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a
2: frame and then it's also a good like um a counterpoint i think to not just you know how people sometimes are in progressive spaces but how a lot of people are in the church right we're just going to mm-hmm. define ourselves by all the mm-hmm. stuff that we mm-hmm. hate and like mm-hmm. everything is about protecting ourselves from the outside world instead of mm-hmm. you know so i appreciate that mm-hmm. yeah i
0: think so yeah one more thing you could probably edit this out but rich Velotis, he said uh is it's a curious concept to despise the people you are trying to
1: convert <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's very counterintuitive <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> this is not a podcast about that, but I could go <laughs> <Right>. <laughs>
2: I'll bring it. I'll bring us out the rabbit hole. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Don't do it, John. Don't do it.
2: You, you know, you could go on about it. And, and in some ways, you went on about it for a whole book that people can go read. I did. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> uh let, let's get into what you were talking about earlier, Tamise. The the mm. conversation about, you know, justice and reparations can be kind of theoretical for some people. And then when it gets down to helping actual real black people, Um, it can get a little bit dicey. Can you talk about uh, Mm -hmm. what happened to subculture when you you started talking about pride?
1: Yeah, so there was a student who reached out to us who was homeless, um, who had been kicked out, um, couldn't go back home after school, Um, and just put in my mind, like, hey, I don't know if subculture is being as vocal as we could about the fact that we want to help all Black students. Um, And so I think it was 2020 think. We posted a post on our Instagram about Black trans realities, um, about the plight of what it means to be Black trans, especially in college, um, and that we were going to help um, in any way that we could. Um, And then we received a ton of emails and phone calls uh, from our donors who were saying that we had swerved from our mission to follow Jesus and to glorify Jesus, that they did not want to uh, give money to something that was kind of poisoning the psyche of the students. And um, we lost about $36,000 in a year. And so we had, we are still trying to recover um, from that. On the one hand, it was very difficult and devastating. And honestly, I think there was a level of trauma for it, uh, in all honesty, trauma for me in that. But then thinking about it in hindsight, it feels really good um to be clear about who we are so that if if people jump on and become partners with us they know what we stand for and who we stand for which and we really do stand for all black students that includes black trans students and i wrote an article about it um recently um because we you know as i think about it i just i can't imagine that you would stop helping students graduate because we want to help black trans students i, I didn't see mm. I don't know how that made sense in people's minds. Um, but I So I wrote an article about it to say, this is what I meant <laughs> when I said faith-based. <laughs> um, and um, this is what I think it means to have a faith-based organization um, is that we help those on the margins. We help the least of these. And there's hardly a more marginalized group than black trans folk, mm-hmm. especially black trans women. Um, and so I, I think that, th- that it's important to vocalize that. I think it's important to advocate um, for that because that's what I believe Jesus called us to do, um, to advocate for the least of these and those who are on the margins. Um, and so that's what we will do um, it did. It has hurt us. Like I said, we we are um, we got we had a conversation with our finance people um, last year that were like, if you don't fix this, you're gone in July. But it's not July, and we're still here. Um, we're you know <laughs> um, we're still here. Um, but we really are trying to find. Um, it's interesting, Diamond, because we in the conversations with our financial controller, they were like, you actually just need a venture capital. You need you need an angel investor um, at this point um, mm-hmm. because it really is like a startup all over again and that you need someone to help you start this up. And unfortunately, because of our being vocal about it, it's um, people that have large, or churches and things that had large capacities to give don't kind of want to align with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's been really hard to find Space and and folks who will um who will invest, but I I believe because I think I think I'm doing good work and um I'm just gonna Mm -hmm. keep doing the work and trust that it'll come.
2: That student to me, you're you're saying they were kicked out of their house by their parents for coming out as trans. Is that what Mm -hmm. happened? Yeah. Indeed. Mm -hmm. I I just I agree with you, and I want to emphasize the point of how wild it is to say uh, someone is homeless and I'm not going to help them (laughs) because they're trans.
1: That's what it boils down to.
2: Yeah, and looking at the ministry of Jesus and coming to the conclusion that that's okay is is it's wild.
1: It's painful mm-hmm. to be honest. It actually hurts, physically hurts. Mm-hmm.
2: I yeah, I bet that makes perfect sense. I mean, it's yeah, I'm just I'm sorry and I'm um I don't know, just the tenacity and the courage of yours that it takes to just keep going and saying we're just going to keep doing <laughs> what's right. Period. Mm-hmm. We were just talking about this Jonathan on our on our on the last episode we put out about the prophetic nature of just doing what's right. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Diamond, actually, Jonathan, maybe you want to ask the, the same question of Diamond because I'm I don't know the story as well as you do. So go ahead. <laughs>
0: yeah. So I I'm wondering, like, in the spaces that you've been in around health outcomes, and now in finance, like, what professional sacrifices have you had to make? To to stay on mission and prioritizing the work um, that you want to do, and then how do you engage in that tension? Because I feel like it happened; it can happen regularly.
3: I don't know if I've had to make many sacrifices. I've just had to kind of expand my thinking because hmm. originally I. Had very it was just like siloed like you have this profession you do this thing and you retire and so I got an MPH I was going to be a public health professional and I realized that there are so many intersecting issues with public health and like you get a bit bit of that when you start having discussions about social determinants of health but. With these disciplines weren't really having conversations with each other. And mm-hmm. so when I would bring up things like maybe we should invest more in communities of color, or maybe we should just figure out like the common denominator is that a lot of these folks with poor outcomes are black and poor. Mm-hmm. We're not going to change the fact that they're black, but can we change the fact that they're poor? Maybe <laughs> that would incru- in- improve their health <laughs> outcomes. And people are like, no, let's run another study. So I'm just like, what? Okay, so maybe this isn't the the discipline for me. This isn't the sector for me. But I, I like, I still appreciate and use a lot of the frameworks. So tried to make a transition into to, to finance via impact investing, and it's a very <clears throat> insular space. And so, not having a finance background, being a woman, being a woman of color, I think folks were just, you know, I could make some inroads with talking about racism and how impact investing is actually impacting and addressing racism. And I think that was interesting to some folks because they had not had that conversation before. So I was kind of like allowed in, in that context. Mm. Um, But I think I've, I've realized that I, again, in terms of of being able to see some connections across disciplines and kind of creating a different path that no one has seen before is what I have to do because I, it just, um, clearly what we're doing is not working. And so to try something new it, you may have to just build it and so that's what i that's what i i'm trying to do but that requires a lot of sacrifice like i work, work full time i get up early to work on a company i'm volunteering like i have a lot of unpaid jobs i'm like mm-hmm. a pta president i'm a parent i've like may join a board board mm-hmm. so there are other things that i'm i'm trying to manage and juggle at the same time that i'm trying to build something and that too wouldn't be the case if I came from a lot of resources, you know, because I could just mm-hmm. like drop some money and, and <laughs> do that full time. Um, so I, I think it's just, I think it's just like really being fortunate to have your brother as my husband, who is very supportive and, and watching our kids while I get up early to, to work on this, having folks like you, Jonathan, and other folks who are encouraging and Or like keep going and trying, and maybe I'll give you some money to help you (laughs) a little bit. Um, And um, really leaning into those relationships, and not so much. um, And also just seeing what you know. And I also just feel for folks who maybe don't see how there could be something, something different could happen in their sector, whether that's public health, impact investing, finance, whatever it is. Because you know they're they're so talented. There's some brilliant people in these spaces, but I think that they just sometimes don't have that imagination. So I've just been trying to spend some time, more time with folks who have a bit more imagination, um, Mm. to help kind of move, move some things forward. I I mean, I am just thinking diamond though, like, look,
1: that's real, the, the, um, reality of having five and six jobs to make ends meet, to make your dream happen. And, um, I think one of the things Sai you were talking about with the, um, and you were too, Diamond, about, you know, how it's really popular these days to be very oppositional and vitriolic and kind of define ourselves by what we're against. But those are also very lucrative roads oh, yeah. to take. Mm-hmm. So oh, yeah. it makes it really hard to say, it makes it hard to say, like, actually, I still believe the Sermon on the Mount. And <laughs> that means I have to live and move and have my being in society a certain way. Mm-hmm. Um but it's also exhausting to be mm. a, a person of color who um, has vision for something. And in order to make that happen, you've got five jobs. Um, yes. And I see that consistently. Everyone I know, every person of color I know that has started an LLC, a business, a 501c3, they are working at least 65 hours uh, mm. a week just to work for their company for free. And- um, mm. That's something that's really, it would be lovely to just be able to run subculture as my job. Um, Mm -hmm. But it's, you know, it's been going five years. So there are students coming to us. There are things that have to happen. So you have to like go to work and go to work again when you're not Mm -hmm. at work. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's just something that I don't think people really, really get um, how Mm -hmm. hard it is to, um, to wake up every morning and decide to do that again. Um, so it's real. It's true. It's truly real.
2: How do you keep doing that to me?
1: Um, well, speaking of the book, my grandmother, when she, um, I think it's in my blood, my grandmother, um, at her funeral, they told this story about how she had the opportunity. She started the a first, the first all boys school in Baltimore to raise, um, uh, retention and test scores. And she did of course. And, mm-hmm. um, The mayor came to kind of take a picture and do a photo op and asked, you know, how can we help? And she said, I need washing machines. I need you to put washing machines in the school because these kids don't have any place to wash their clothes. And I think like I I think I came by that. Honestly, it just I can't just. Sit still if I know there's a need and if I know I have the skills and the capability and a little bit of the social capital to make it happen. Um, And that's how I feel. I mean, I didn't start out having gone to business school. I started out with students in my living room telling me that they had to go home or walking students home from the dorm because they got evicted because their room and board rates went up. And it was just kind of like, I can't not do something. Um, And now... I think five years in, I'm like, this is me. This was born of me. I can't imagine not doing subculture. And I'm hoping to be able to do it full time someday. Um, Or at least be paid a salary to do it full time. (laughs) I am doing it full time, but you know what I mean? (laughs) I mean, I just, I don't think I could not, sigh. Like, I don't think I could. I love black students.
2: Unapologetic. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Same question, Diamond. Just to wrap us up, how, how do you keep going?
3: I keep going because I'm thinking about like I, I work in philanthropy, and I'm like, I see that there are so many resources. <laughs> so mm. there's enough, you know, they we have enough resources. so I that's what I'm spending my energy on is figuring out how to get more resources to folks who have been asking for things. They know what they need. They just don't have the resources to to make it happen. And so that's my my core objective is, I know we have the resources. Let's get them to the folks that need them. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. Where can people go for both of you to find you or your work online or to, to help support? Uh,
1: you can go to www.subcultureinc.org. That's our website, and you can find all that we're doing over there.
2: And you can click the donate button. <laughs> yes, you <laughs> can. <laughs> <laughs> um,
3: You can go to www.lpidasocialcapital.com. Lpida is spelled E L P I D A, socialcapital.com. Um, we are a for profit company, um, we offer financial coaching and consulting. So you can click the learn more or contact me link on the website.
2: And is the, is the, um student debt freedom fund still going or is that
3: yeah so it's sunset uh in 2022 okay. and there is uh something com- that's coming down the pipeline so it's okay, cool. something in the in the works yeah awesome
2: well stay tuned to Peter says yeah this is awesome uh this has been so great thank you to both mm-hmm. you so much for being here we really appreciate it yes, thank you thank
3: you This has been wonderful
2: Thank you so much for listening. Please remember to go to ktfpress.com and consider becoming a subscriber. Get the bonus episodes of this show. Get our weekly newsletter uh, and support everything we do at KTF Press, centering and elevating marginalized voices. Also, please remember to send in your questions. Send them in. Send them in early and often to shake the dust at ktfpress.com. You can send us an email. You can send us a voicemail questions about anything you've heard on this show or read in our newsletter or anything really that you want uh, Jonathan and I to talk about. Send those to shake the dust at ktfpress.com And we will uh, answer them in two, two episodes from now. Our theme song is citizens by John Guerra. Our podcast art is by Jacqueline Tam, and we will see you all in two weeks.
1: We you, you, you welcome us as children home. Where we as and you, call us citizens, and you welcome us as children home. We
0: we've, we've talked a lot about uh hold hold on one second, sorry. <laughs> I just need to make sure I just need to make sure this is not Maya. Hello. Oh, Yes, ma'am. Sorry. Nope, not her. Uh, We had this this whole conversation about like her speaking up for herself today. Um, And like, if you don't like something, you say, I don't like this. And you say, is there something else I could do? And then if they say you can't do that, then you say, I need to call my father. And so I was just, just making sure that that didn't happen. Within the first hour, <laughs> this empowered girl, like, hey, I ain't doing that, you know? My dad said, <laughs>
3: I am not coloring that coloring page. Yeah. Right.